Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we discuss feminist issues in music and pop culture, all while empowering fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. What are we talking about today, Sarah? We have a lot of little things to unpack, and this week's underlying theme, I think, is misogyny, which feels... <laughs> I know. This is like a very throwback <laughs> episode for us. <laughs> I know. It feels very much like the old school Name Three Songs days, which is like kind yeah. of nice, kind of fun. Yeah. Obviously not fun because misogyny is never fun, but it's fun to revisit a topic that really shaped the podcast when we first started. So first up, of course, we have Speak Now Taylor's version came out. Everybody's excited. There was lots of anticipation and like fear about what Taylor was going to do about all of her teen angst, specifically when it comes to the slut shaming anthem of Better Than Revenge that everybody loves so much and whether or not she was going to change the infamous lyric of she is better known for the things that she does on the mattress. And spoiler alert, which I don't think is a spoiler alert anymore. She did, in fact, change those lyrics and mostly everybody is annoyed. So we're looking deep into our souls about the canon event of every teen girl having internalized misogyny and outright misogyny and what that's like. And of course, we're using Larisha Paul from Rolling Stone as our guide because she wrote an incredible article about the song prior to the release of this album. The internet is losing their mind over Taylor Swift choosing to be a feminist when maybe it was not the right move. (laughs) Also, in outright misogyny, we have Kiki Palmer's boyfriend blasting her on the internet for wearing a what he presumed to be risque dress in front of Usher when she got serenaded. (laughs) There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of just outright misogyny and like not even trying to hide the misogyny. So we're unpacking that as well as talking about publications and music critics and like do publications and music critics have biases? Should they, should they not? We're looking back at a few journalists who are revisiting some past work, both Katy Perry's Teenage Dream and Charlie XCX's Room Room EP and what those music critics have to say about it now. So that is going to be towards the end of the episode. We have all the timestamps on our Instagram stories and they're saved to highlights if you want to find what you're most interested in. And before we get into the episode today, we do have some new Patreon members to shout out, which we always love when we get to do this. So Leah and Gemma, thank you both so much for joining us over on Patreon. And this is just a reminder for everybody else that we do have a bunch of really fun bonus episodes over on Patreon, including a big back catalog of music meltdowns. And we've been doing a new fun thing where when Jenna and I have a meltdown over something that really isn't deep enough to talk about on the podcast we are now just getting on the phone recording a cute little episode for you guys so that we can discuss it on our discord our latest meltdown was about zendaya's thruple movie the challengers <laughs> and with the barbie movie coming up we most definitely are gonna have things to say about that oh 100 percent. so you can get all of that content over at patreon.com slash name three songs And with all that, it's time for some fangirl nonsense. And I think we have some big fangirl items to cover this week, but I'm going to give the floor to Sarah first. We both had our meltdowns this week, but um, Sarah's is a little personal. (laughs) A little personal. Pete Wentz, I I don't have time. I don't have time for the nonsense that occurred. I don't even know how to put this into words. But last weekend, July 4th weekend... Which is, which is relevant because over July 4th weekend, Mikey Way was not only attending, Mikey Way got on stage <laughs> and performed and played the bass. Pete took the bass off his back and mm-hmm. gave it to Mikey Way. 
I don't know if anybody understands how big of a deal this is. I know some of you understand, but I'm just going to, we're going to take a second. We're going to take a, a quick minute to just rewind a little bit to the year of our Lord, like 2005, where Pete Wentz sees Mikey way across the way of a <laughs> warped her parking lot. Oh my God, and falls, stop. <laughs> falls deeply in love. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they locked eyes across <laughs> They locked eyes across the burning asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> Me spends the first six minutes. All of time our- <laughs> stopped. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but basically there is a long time conspiracy amongst fans about the love affair between Pete Wentz and Mikey Way of My Chemical Romance. And despite all that we've talked about, about Pete Wentz and how he's like, I'd be gay, except I'm afraid of dicks. I don't know how afraid of dicks he is. <laughs> except when it's Mikey Way. <laughs> so the reason why it was a big deal that this happened on July 4th weekend is because Fall Out Boy, number one, there's a big situation back in the live journal days <laughs> where Pete once wrote about how he watched a sunset with Mikey Way after going on maybe a date to a water park. <laughs> Oh my god. And then on the 4th of July, on a live journal entry, he ended it by saying hot and miserable but totally in love. And a lot of us assume that he is talking about Mikey Way because of how he spoke about the sunset that he watched with Mikey Way. But they also have a song called 4th of July that was on I don't even know which album, but it was on an album. <laughs> Wait, so was Mikey Way named in the post by Pete? Yeah, he specifically said that he was watching a sunset with Mikey. But then the rest of it, people don't know if it's still about him. Yes. So there's okay. there, there's like assumptions. We don't know, but we do, we do know. So yeah, 4th of July is very relevant to like the Pete Key of it all, which is their ship name for those of you who don't know. But also... Oh my God, stop. Also... So it was like the reunion on July 4th when they did this. Yeah. So that's some Pete Wentz and Mikey lore for you to explain why it's such a big deal that Mikey performed with them on July 4th, like holiday weekend. So the Mikey performing with Fall Out Boy situation happened on July 1st. So like the start of the holiday weekend. And then two days later on July 3rd, they in the Magic 8-Ball that Jenna told us about last week, the surprise Magic 8-Ball song was the song Bang the Doldrums. And the fact that they played Bang the Doldrums live for the first time ever, which is a song off of their album Infinity on High, which came out when I was in high school. And they played it two days after Pete Wentz had this romantic onstage moment with Mikey Way because that's what it was romantic being the doldrums is about my is about mikey way i mean again it's assumed to be about mikey way but there are several lyrics from being the doldrums that are taken directly from pete wentz's live journal blogs that he wrote while on the warp tour in 2005 during which he spent every waking moment with mikey way <laughs> i just think it's hilarious that not only all this time later is this like like coming to the forefront of like the fallout boy fan experience but also the fact that at this day and age 
Pete is 44 years old <laughs> and Mikey Wayne's 42 years old and fans are like fans who are now like who were teenagers back then who are now like 20 and 30 year olds are like kicking their feet giggling laughing about <laughs> the reuniting of the possible ship I don't know what it means. I don't know what's happening. Um, but I'm just saying I am living for every second of the fact that this happened. I just like I don't have the time. I have a job. I have this podcast. I have friends. I have stuff I need to do that I did not need to do when I originally spent every waking moment waiting for Pete Wentz to post new live journal posts. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I will say that like a couple years ago, there was like a moment on TikTok where like a lot of teens were discovering the Pete key of it all. And it was like really interesting because I was like, I love how there are like 18 year olds who were like barely alive, maybe not even alive, like when this was all happening. Yeah. Who are not like Pete Wentz, Mikey Way historians. Oh my God. In a similar instance of my life being absolutely turned upside down, this is a funny thing. Is it like <laughs> you're just like going about your day, doing your normal day things, and then you open the internet and there's like <laughs> news that is like literally going to derail you for the next like one to like five hours to like three days, depending it's on, like, you know. Yeah. Sometimes five to six business days. <laughs> yes. And that happened to me this week as well, in which at like 10 a.m., morning where I'm like in work mode I go to Instagram to like do something for work lo and behold what is the first thing on my feed none other than fucking Jungkook looking so good looking so good literally just wearing like leather shiny pants and a white t-shirt looking so good these are the promo photos that have dropped for his single that's coming out on July 14th the funny thing is is that all the k-pop companies tell you ahead of time they give you a schedule of when these things are gonna drop which I do think is very funny so you can like count down like (laughs) this day's the music video this day's the concept photo I rarely pay attention to these so I did not know that they were dropping today other people knew they were dropping today and then I was just like how how can I re I can't recover from this like I'm <laughs> crying I work no <laughs> brain is only Jungkook and nothing else I think maybe next time you should pay attention to the release schedule and put it on your calendar <laughs> Block um, I don't think I would have cried any less if it <laughs> no, was I don't, in I don't think so but I think you could have put like a busy a busy block on your <laughs> schedule for work <laughs> it's just funny because I was texting Sarah I was like look at this look at this and Sarah's like okay so i was like i'm happy for you (laughs) and then she watched the video and she's like okay i get it i get it and i'm like thank you for me personally a pair of leather pants and a slightly rolled up t-shirt has been done before but the video but it's a classic look you know you got that like james dean (laughs) daydream look in your eye So point being is that while the photos were relatively calm in the styling matter, the point is that like there was a point in time where like Jungkook had to wear like full arm length gloves on camera because we were not allowed to see his tattoos. Like and this man has a full ass sleeve. So yeah, (laughs) I feel like there's there's too much like there's too much background to get into. I do think we are going to do a Jungkook deep dive one of these days because (laughs) he's a very interesting subject. But speaking of photos breaking the Internet, I think that TXC and the Jonas Brothers kind of did that backwards. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> because they had their single, which dropped today, the day of recording, which is Friday. The single's good. The single's great. The promo images, if they hadn't filmed those TikToks together, I would be like, do they even know each other exists? They tried so hard to be cohesive and by trying so hard to be cohesive the photos are giving nothing um (laughs) yeah it's like they were all just like we really love each other and like really wanted to do this song together but also we have absolutely no time to put into this at all our schedules are super busy like we can't even find like a similar tree to pose with. We have to pose. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally it's just a white like... background. A white background. It's not even, it's and not bright even lights. a white background. It's like one of those like off white walls that can like only be found in a record label's office. Like it's a very <laughs> specific type of wall. In the music video, it's white, but in the photos, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. It's no, bizarre. the music video obviously was like filmed in a white cube somewhere, and then they the were the styling. <laughs> okay, look, the styling was not my favorite. TXT have looked better in many occasions. The styling was very much this is what the Jonas Brothers are willing to do, and yeah. you must meet them where they are. Yeah, I will say once again, Joe Jonas looked great. <laughs> I have no other comments than that. (laughs) Also, they did meet, like, for one day before, like, I think they had just recorded this song, like, because of TXT's touring schedule, they went back to Korea, so they didn't have time to, like, do, like, actual, like, promo photos together. They literally just took, did TikTok videos and, like, iPhone videos. But there's, like, (laughs) there's this one clip that's going around that they just dropped of, like, Bumgu, who's 5'11", and Nick Jonas standing together, and it looks like they're the same height, and I know that Nick Jonas is not 5'11". <laughs> I am, like, 100% positive, no confirmation, just, like, in my in my heart of heart and in my soul, that Nick Jonas in every contract of everything is, like, if anybody is taller than me, I will have a box to stand on, and nobody can say anything about it. Yes, I think there must have been a box involved. He definitely But also, wears, like, like, does he just wear lifts. risers in his shoes on a regular he, basis? A hundred percent. Because yeah. he's a shorty short. Yes, short he's 5'7". Well, <laughs> I mean, he could be shorter, shorter than that. The internet says he's 5'7". Okay, the internet um, says Louis Tomlinson's 5'9". We all know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the same video, we get Joe Jonas and Subin hard styling together. I, I did not have that on my bingo card. <laughs> they um, were like, defend pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, moving on. It was actually pretty funny because I put a poll up on our Twitter and on our Instagram because obviously Taylor's Speak Now version dropped this day as well. And I put up a poll saying like, what are you losing your mind over this week? Most people were losing their minds over Taylor. A lot of people were losing their minds over Jungkook. And a few people were losing their minds over Fall Out Boy and TXT, but that was like a pretty fun little poll. As well, we have Dua Lipa interviewing Amelia DeMoldenberg from Chicken Chop Date for her Dua Lipa's at your service podcast which like i've literally never heard anyone talk about ever like has the worst promo (laughs) in the history of ever however there's this clip going around of like amelia's talking about when she met harry styles at like an award show recently and dude was like yeah how was that and amelia's like oh my god he's we like locked eyes from across the room like amelia's having a fangirl moment and like he he like knows me all this stuff and dude is just like "Mm mm-hmm like her face is like I could not relate less. Like, this girl is like, never once, like, not been known by someone 
someone in public. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of like, they're the, in that moment, the difference in their level of fame was never more apparent than like just then. I mean, the the best way to describe how Dua is reacting to Amelia essentially like kicking her feet and giggling it's as if like your dad picks you up from a concert and is like how was it and you're like oh my god like i caught a drumstick i made eye contact and your dad's like amazing you're like that's great sweetie (laughs) i didn't read all of that but i'm happy for you or i'm sorry whatever that said Uh, yeah but like it just felt very much like a dad trying to be supportive like that's the best way i can put it like (laughs) it's just so funny because also just in general general like i feel like there's always a lot of jokes about how like all we know about dua lipa is she like fucking loves going on vacation (laughs) (laughs) so it's just funny that she's had a podcast for like two years and like like no one knows about it like charlie xcx was on it trevor noah was on it like i I literally have never heard about this It's just funny. And I just love how like Emilio's like, Harry and I, what's gonna happen? And do is like, you go, sweetie. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of teen girl canon events that I don't think Dua Lipa can relate to, Taylor Swift's <laughs> Speak Now, Taylor's version was released. And of course, there was a lot of discourse and conversation and speculation about what Taylor was going to do about the infamous slut shaming anthem better than revenge and most of the general consensus was don't change it because when you wrote it you meant it and like most fans can viscerally relate to that feeling of being a teenager and like having the boy that you like stolen from somebody and being like oh like she won him because she's just a little slut a little slut face how dare she and we talk a lot on our podcast about the internalized misogyny that most of us have had growing up and how we need to unlearn it and how a lot of us even didn't just have internalized misogyny we're just like outright misogynists against women just fucking hated them it's a canon event it can't be changed like every single teenage girl has this phase in life where like they don't want to be like other girls, you know? They they want Harry Styles to see them reading at a One Direction concert yeah. and invite her backstage. Like, yeah. <laughs> they want to be Summer from 500 Days of Summer. Like, they want to be Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim. Like, they want to be that girl that makes guys be like, oh my God, you just get me. You get it. Like, you know, we all have those moments of being like, oh, I don't like pop music because I'm, I'm not like other girls like yeah whatever whatever the deal is there's been a lot of people kind of acknowledging their past internalized or not so internalized misogyny there's been a lot of reclamation of past misogyny anthems a la misery business by paramore where they stop playing that and then they realize that it's like such a nostalgia factor and such like a part of their career and how they got to where they are today that instead of making it just being like a straightforward song that they sing it's a moment to share with the fans so every single time they play misery business like they invite a fan up on stage to kind of show like the fans have reclaimed this like this isn't a slut shaming anthem anymore this is like a i was an angry teen and like i can still revisit being an angry teen without being a misogynistic asshole and because of all of this like there was so much discourse around 
what was going to happen with the song Better Than Revenge because the song is about the woman who quote unquote stole Joe Jonas away from Taylor Swift and Taylor had some not very nice things to say about her in the song. But the thing is, is that the starting lyric, which stayed the same, is she's not a saint and she's not what you think. She's an actress. And then in the original recording, it goes, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. But instead, she changed it to he was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches. A weird choice. I did hear some like fan assumptions of what they thought the lyrics were going to be changed to. And I do think that fans did it better than Taylor did. I think it's hilarious that you are like deep enough on just like fandom internet in general that like you get served these types of videos and I like do not whatsoever. (laughs) I've tailored my TikTok for you page very much to be giving me things that will inform name three songs. So amazing. I've done a good job. job. I hate every second of it a lot of the time, but I do it. I do it for us. Don't do it for you. (laughs) Yeah, guys, don't say I never did anything for you. The thing is, is that the song at its core is still a slut shaming anthem is still painting the other woman as the bad guy. Like this one lyric change doesn't change enough of the song and feels a little bit like a cop-out. Also, like, she could have been better known for things she does on a mattress. Like, I don't know. What if she's a porn star? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, also, I'm not going to lie. Sounds like a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't that popular of an actress. I'm just saying. So our good friend Larisha Paul did write a really incredible op-ed for Rolling Stone back in May titled Better Than Revenge, Taylor's Version, Why Taylor Swift Shouldn't Rewrite Her Own History. And I mean, Larisha is the only person who can get me to read about Taylor Swift in my free time because it's always going to be well-written and she's always going to make points. It's a really incredible article. And basically like Larisha's point in this article and like most fans point about all of this is that Taylor wrote most of Speak Now when she was like 18 or 19 years old. When you're 18 and 19 years old, you're filled with so much teen angst and rage and especially in 2010 so like when this album came out so like 2008 2009 she's writing this we were all filled with so much internalized misogyny in yeah, the early it was 2000s pick me girl era it, it was, was literally pick me girl era. yes the worst the worst of the worst times to be a girl and so everything about this song makes sense for the time that it was written and the time that it came out and the whole point that most fans seem to feel based off of like what i've seen on tiktok and what i've read in like op-eds written by journalist fans of taylor is that taylor is not rewriting history with the taylor's version albums instead she is reclaiming history and so the fact that of the matter is that she's going in and like reworking these songs to fit with like her supposed newfound understanding of womanhood or whatever doesn't feel right to most people and like why most people are happy with the fact that like she left all too well original and then did a bonus all too well 10 minute version and didn't only give us this like new version where she's like oh the fuck the patriarchy thing which everybody felt was a little bit cheesy from what I've seen I just think that and again this is when like my anti-Taylor bias is going to come out that anytime Taylor tries to be progressive especially as of late it's very much like a swing and a miss because she doesn't seem to understand like when is and isn't the right time to like be like see look I am a feminist because it's like this feminism doesn't exist right now like that's not the point 
I mean, for a while, Paramore wasn't playing Misery Business, and Haley Williams had said, like, that's not how I feel anymore. That's not what I want to play. Yeah. And so, like, they went through that period of, like, kind of disowning the song a little bit to then come around back to it to recognize, like, no, we can acknowledge this as, like, an emo anthem and, like, like you said, without having to be, like, a misogynistic prick or whatever. You can have both. And I think that's just one of those, like, lessons that Taylor hasn't learned herself and i mean also like the fact that she lives in a bubble of being a celebrity and also the fact that she hasn't been like the best outspoken advocate whatever whatever like we talk about this all the time i mean it makes sense that she would do this yeah i mean i think larisha said it really well in her closing paragraph for this op-ed because she wrote changing the past now or using it to make some grand feminist statement would not only feel dishonest but it would also compromise her goal of draining all of the value from her original recordings after they were tossed around and sold without her permission after all there's nothing swift does better than revenge and i think that like that is a really valid point because again this doesn't feel like a grand feminist statement if anything it feels like a throw-in line to get rid of an old line that she's like oh like that's that's anti-feminist of me which I don't think it is. Again, the whole point of feminism is that you just want equal rights between everyone. And that doesn't mean that you can't sometimes not like other women. Like that's not, that's not the point of feminism. Feminism doesn't mean that you like support all women always. Like that would mean I have to support Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like that's fucking unhinged. Obviously, as we said last week, like it was always part of Taylor's plan to like re-record her music because most of it is very much just like a money thing. But If there's also still that kind of like sticking it to the man sort of point to all of this, her changing a lyric to a much beloved song, making fans have to continue to re-listen to the old version of that song doesn't really stick it to the man in that same way where like most fans go out of their way to only listen to the Taylor's version of songs when she hasn't done things like this. So I do think if anything, her weird feminist move accidentally wasn't feminist (laughs) because she took away the feminism of the re-recordings by changing the lyric. No. (laughs) I just wanted to touch on this at the start of the episode because I know all of y'all have had thoughts and feelings about Speak Now Taylor's version and better than revenge. I've had some of you guys messaging me because I made a post being like, as always, Taylor tries to be a feminist and fucks it up. And people being like, I can't fucking believe she actually changed the lyrics. Because I think most fans genuinely believe that she wouldn't. And I'm honestly mm. kind of shocked that she did because she even said like earlier in May, I think this must have been like a post that she made where she said the songs that came from this time in my life were marked by their brutal honesty, unfiltered diaristic confessions and wild wistfulness. I love this album because it tells a tale of growing up, flailing, flying and crashing and living to speak about it. And that's exactly what it is. And her changing the lyric after writing that and being like, I was being brutally honest. and That's how I felt then is like her taking it all back. And it's like, Taylor, just own it. Just own it. It's okay. Yeah. And I also feel your point earlier of like the song itself was still like hating another woman for like allegedly taking your man. Yeah. So that one line doesn't change the meaning (laughs) of the whole song. Also in like news of women having to double think their whole lives because of (laughs) men being stupid. We have Kiki Palmer Loki fangirling over Usher and then her baby daddy slash boyfriend Basically, he called her out for not wearing enough clothes, even though I'm pretty sure he was probably just jealous that, like, she was, like, having a moment with Usher serenading her and their arms were, like, around each other. So 
her boyfriend or maybe maybe now ex-boyfriend we don't know darius dalton jackson took to twitter to quote tweet the viral video of kiki and usher saying it's the outfit though dot 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 you a mom and then everyone of course came at him with like backlash to which he doubled down and then said we live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty cheeks to please others and he gets told how much of a hater he is this is my family and my representation i have standards and morals to what i believe i rest my case would we just like to go down a list of all the things that are wrong with this because there's multiple this is also genuinely funny because like Teffy said it best in her TikTok response to this, which is that she assumed like she saw this happen. She went to his Twitter to like go see what was going on. He was tweeting a lot about some basketball team. So she was like, oh, he must be a famous basketball player. She's like, no, this is a fan account. She's like, this man, <laughs> she's like, this man is unemployed. <laughs> she's oh like, he is living in Kiki's house. <laughs> Oh my god. She's like, he's not even bringing in the money. And so the fact that he's like, this is my family. I am the man of this family. When it's like, no, Kiki. No, you were the boyfriend. It's like, yeah. (laughs) And Kiki's the man of the family. If we're going to go by like stereotypical (laughs) gender rules here. Like it's her house. It's her money. Like let her have her a fucking Usher moment. Okay. I don't follow Kiki Palmer that closely on like social. So I don't know what she's wearing on like a regular basis. But I just feel like. This was probably not the first time she was wearing, like, a risque outfit in public. No, it's 100% Also, the fact that she's, like, a famous woman and, like, does magazine shoots and, like, goes to award shows. I feel like he called it out specifically because Usher was involved. But he doesn't want to call out Usher being, like, get your hands off my girl, stuff like that. So instead, he's just being misogynistic against Kiki Palmer. Which, like, women can wear what they want. Also, like, let women enjoy things. Like, also, like, like Sarah said, like, Usher is, like anyone would kind of melt in (laughs) usher's presence and then also coupled with the fact of he's like being like man of the house and like this isn't how like you know this isn't my morals blah 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 i'm like maybe you should have figured this out like a long time ago and or it's just like one of those things where it's like this has always been how this person felt it's just that this instance brought it out of him but it's like i mean like I don't know if she's going to break up with him or what, but she did like go and like post extra photos of her like in this outfit. But I just feel like if I was in a relationship with somebody and then they like did that also like on the internet, like didn't even like not behind closed doors, like trying to drag her on the internet. There's just so much wrong with this that like I, I would just be like immediately no, immediately break up. Like, but also like based off of anything I know about Kiki Palmer, I'm assuming that part of what he was attracted to about her in the first place was like, her confidence and the fact that she is like so confident like in herself and in her body and just like all of those things and it's like my dude my guy like yeah like this is what you signed up for what is going on here it's that thing of like like being attracted to a woman who's like so confident and so just like owns her shit and like gorgeous and then like once you're with them they're like no actually you can't be any of those things anymore because you're mine like it's so controlling it's so controlling and it's so icky and it was like also just so weird and and i know because most of my friends are like very strong women that like sometimes there are certain things that you look for in a partner but most of like 
because you're like tired of being in charge all the time but most of those things don't involve misogyny and they usually involve things that happen that other people don't see and like i don't understand how a man could like get a woman pregnant <laughs> like continue to be in a relationship with her knowing full well that like she is an independent confident woman who like has a successful career and that man be like so self-conscious that he's like, oh my God, Usher. And I'm like, what, the sexiest 44-year-old man to ever exist? Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm like it's just funny that this happened in the same week as like literally Pete, like Usher's like six months older than Pete Wentz. And so that like that connection was also very funny. Yeah. Everybody's going feral on the internet for the two 44-year-old men that we like never realized were like that much older than us when we were growing up and like had crushes on them. But it's also just funny uh... because like, Usher at the prime of his fame was like very well known for like being a bit of a womanizer. There's lots going on there of like cheating scandals and like uh, things Usher was involved in that like goes way past like my pop culture know-how of yeah. like deeply understanding it. But like Usher has been and always will be the moment. Like it doesn't, <laughs> ma- it doesn't matter. Like there's always going to be women fighting over Usher. It's so jarring to continue to see just men on the internet be like so misogynistic with their chest towards women that they like know not only know personally but like are intimately (laughs) involved with it's just so funny because it's like at this point in like our journey of podcasting feminism and pop culture it's like this is so like 101 like just don't don't be a dick like don't (laughs) be misogyny don't be a misogynist this is just like the base level one of one of like the stuff that we started calling out like three years ago yeah and now it's like we're so far beyond that we're like wait people still do this like (laughs) people are like actually like this in real life like it's kind of upsetting and it's just even so crazier too because like obviously after this happened like a lot of fans went to like unearth every skeleton in this man's closet and they found a lot of things about the fact that he's like pretty fucking conservative and like is very much pro-police and like all these things where people are like kiki girl what the fuck did you not red flags are all over the place like did you not research this man but i think did you not google him (laughs) yes like it's like you have a team like you're a a Uh, rich famous woman did your team not background check him and so i just think that that's like really interesting but it did shine this light onto something else that isn't directly connected to kiki palmer but was something (laughs) that jenna sent me just in like a little fangirl like oh my god moment but i thought the juxtaposition between this man's behavior and like the lack of respect that so many men show for women and the fact that women want to be confident and independent while also maybe having a family or maybe being in a relationship and not having a family and like there's multiple options for independent confident women and like they shouldn't have the assumption of there will never be a man for me because like I'm putting like myself and my career first and this turns out there is a man (laughs) there's one man turns out there is one singular (laughs) man I mean I'm sure there are more but I (laughs) Sarah are you in love with Jackson Wang I'm in love with Jackson Wang um guys this is so this is so funny for me I will give you all the details but I have just been, like, slowly sending Sarah videos of Jackson Wang. Like, not only is he extremely talented and attractive, but, like, he, like, genuinely speaks from his heart, like, when he does interviews. Like, he's a no-bullshit person. So I've just been, like, slowly sending Sarah these things over the past few months, and I can't believe Sarah's like, we need to talk about Jackson Wang in our pop culture commentary. Like, this is, like, biggest goal achieved here. I just, I just think that, like, the juxtaposition is so glaring, and it's so obvious 
and like necessary i think to acknowledge that you don't need to date a bottom of the barrel man you don't need to have a baby with a bottom of the barrel man just because you're like oh he's paying attention to me because i feel like no matter how confident and like outgoing and beautiful and interesting and like intelligent a woman is men have set the bar so low that if a man like pulls a fucking chair out for you and calls you beautiful more than once we're like yes i will marry you thank you so much for asking and then jackson wang shows up and is like well actually okay so let me give you the details jackson wang went on this podcast called Kinja's podcast. I'm not familiar with this podcast. I just saw it from a fan account on Twitter. Somebody had clipped this part of the podcast. He's talking to like two dudes. Okay. So it was like two dudes with a podcast and it was very much giving two dudes with a podcast. Yes. But Jackson Wayne goes, I would love to get married before I'm 30. And right now I think he's 28. He's like, I love to get married before I'm 30 because I want to like see my kids longer. Like I want to be best friends with my kids, but I don't know if I'll have kids. Like it depends on my wife if she wants kids. Like I would love to, but there's too much pain to give birth to kids. And then the hosts are like, they're like heckling him over this. And they're like, would you be down with a wife who doesn't want kids? And he was like, of course, like it's so much pain, dude. And the hosts are like, you can totally just find a wife who like wants to have kids and then bring that up in the conversation. And Jackson's like, that's not the conversation conversation that I want to have like he they're basically heckling him being like when you're pursuing someone them having kids should be one of the criteria for being together and he's like no like I want to find the love of my life and then it's that person's decision if they want to have kids because they have to go through so much pain in order to do that and then they say like if you found a super super dope girl and she's like perfect for you in every way but then she doesn't want to have children that's not a deal breaker for you and he's like oh definitely not because she's going through that pain I just can't stand that this is maybe the hottest thing Amanda's ever said <laughs> I on was the like, record. Is Jackson Wang a feminist icon? <laughs> he, he 100% is. And I love it even more that he's not like, I'm a feminist icon. Like that even more so makes him a feminist icon, obviously. But also just like watching this video, you can see how fucking annoyed he's getting by these men being like but you could just like find a woman who like breed with you and he's like like, he's like women have been doing this for thousands of years and he's like that's not my fucking point yeah like literally i think that if it was any other man he would have like gotten up and left but instead he's like no i need to explain it to these dudes because i know if i say i need to educate you they will have a eureka moment it's like oh jackson sweetie not everyone's as smart as you are it's okay But, like, it was just so amazing and, like, a breath of fresh air to, like, see a man, but not only any man, like, a famous man who, like, has a following that's predominantly women be, like, the most important thing to me in a significant other is that we are deeply in love with each other. Like, that's what matters most is that, like, we see each other on an emotional and intelligence level and then like maybe if she wants like if she wants to have kids that's that's amazing if she doesn't that's also amazing because i have her and i'm like this is all there's never been anything hotter ever said i'm like there's never been anything hotter no and so just the fact that he like clearly wants kids so badly but is like no finding my soulmate is more important to me than children like oh chef's kiss I also think there's nothing wrong like if you like are so driven that you like must have kids to find someone who also wants kids like I just think you need to be upfront about that I mean this is kind of what the guys were saying but in a douchier way of like I don't know like just know like know what the deal breaker is for you because you don't want to be in a relationship like five years in where someone one person wants kids and the other doesn't and whatever no but a hundred percent and like that's basically like jenna and i are like swooning over this because neither of us really cares about children i a hundred percent don't want kids and so 
like the fact that he's saying this is just very attractive. And like Jenna said, it's like the host's point of like, you can just find someone to have kids. It's like, yeah, but that also like can knock a bunch of potential soulmates off of his radar. And he's like, no, that's not what I want. I mean, from what Jenna sent me and the little I know about this man, this man, all he wants is true love. Like he wants, like he's he's watched the princess bride so many times and is like, I want that. I've seen him on like at at least two other, I've seen him on at least two other interviews where he's talking about like having that match is so important to him. And it's been so hard because of his career It's because it's me. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Sarah, he's a March Aries. You guys can't be together, but I, I will however take one for the team. Listen, I'm a girl's girl. I'll have any, as long as he's happy with one of my friends. That's all that <laughs> as long as he's in my life. So, as long as he's making one of my friends happy, that's all that matters. <laughs> Today's episode is incredibly unhinged, but I mean, I think that obviously you guys are aware that our brains have turned to soup from having to talk about Taylor Swift for every episode <laughs> for the past like three months. We do, however, have some learning opportunities as it relates to media publications, biases. I would go as far to say media literacy. Yeah. And kind of a recent string of events that have happened over the past few months that we were like, okay, this theme has popped up more than once. So we're kind of going to look at how publications do or do not have biases. Writers do or do not have biases because there have been several things lately of journalists going back and revisiting albums from past artists and kind of like reframing their opinion on the matter. So we have an article in Stereo Gum by Tom Brehan called The Number Ones and it's actually kind of a series that he's doing. He says, I'm reviewing every single number one single in the history of the Billboard Hot 100 starting with the charts beginning in 1958 and working his way up to present. Okay, so they're talking about Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. He's saying that at the time when this song came out in 2010, he was working at Pitchfork. He was on a news desk with his friend Ryan and his friend Ryan sent him the Teenage Dream track. He said, Ryan didn't send me the track because we were going to write about it. In fact, we weren't going to write about it. At the time, the Pitchfork higher-ups had decided that Katy Perry was insufficiently cool and the site didn't run Teenage Dream Review until 2021. Ryan sent me that song because he instantly loved it and thought I'd instantly love it and he was right. And then he goes on to say, like, if there's an archive of that AIM conversation still exists, like, it's just a whole bunch of, like, holy shit messages back and forth, which I think is so funny that, like, these dudes who are writing for a publication that's like Katy Perry is not cool are like willing to admit Katy Perry was fucking cool and then he says I was not a teenager when I first heard Teenage Dream I wasn't anything like a teenager I was a grown-ass dad with an office job writing about music for a site that would not take Katy Perry seriously until Katy Perry's moment was over okay so Jenna and I were talking about this before recording and the thing that is really interesting and I think relevant to this and the point of like the pitchfork higher ups decided that Katy Perry wasn't cool. We're not going to write about her is up until 2015 when pitchfork was sold to Condé Nast pitchfork was an independent music publication that mainly wrote about indie rock artists and working at pitchfork meant that you were like the coolest of the cool. Like you had your pulse on music, like everybody, like there was a specific, a very specific brand to Pitchfork and that brand very much controlled like 
how many stars an album would get and all of this. And this is where like media bias comes in because it's kind of like that thing of like when you're going to sites like Cosmo or Playboy or GQ or like Men's Health, going to publications like those, like you know exactly what you're going to get. Like you're going to get cheesy sex tips from Cosmo. Like you're going to get like how to make your hamburger leaner in three easy steps when you have your grill weekend this weekend. Like when you go to Men's Fitness, that's a strong brand that like when you mention these publications, like your brain automatically goes to like what type of stories you're going to get. And Pitchfork for the longest time, your brain automatically goes to like basically 2014 Tumblr aesthetic before it was the Tumblr aesthetic was like Pitchfork. It's like the cooler than cool girls, basically. Arcade Fire, the XX. Yeah, all very much those kind of vibes. So it makes sense that they wouldn't cover Katy Perry. And honestly, I respect it more that they didn't cover her rather than them covering her and just shitting. Yeah, just shitting on it just to shit on it. Because I think that the whole point of like being a music journalist and like wanting to work in music journalism at the end of the day is just like your immense love and respect for music and knowing that like while a certain artist might not be for you, you can acknowledge that something is good. But if your publication would not not cover that sort of artist and that's fine that's my personal opinion and I think that a lot of people who work in journalism understand this that like you're not gonna go to certain websites to get coverage of certain artists because that's just not who they cover it'd be like Kerrang or rock sound like those are mostly going to be rock and like alternative like warp tour-esque music whereas like pitchfork even now even though they do cover broader things like my brain is still like oh they're going to cover arctic monkeys before they're gonna cover kesha even though they cover both now my brain is still just like why would i read about kesha on pitchfork even though that's not what pitchfork is anymore so i think that's like really important context to consider in this conversation because the other thing that we had happen recently is that Laura Snipes for The Guardian, they were doing a roundup, the joy of the slow burn record. Not only did I warm to this draw, I became obsessed. So it was kind of like a bunch of writers for The Guardian kind of like looking back at like these quote unquote slow burn records that like they at first didn't like, but like grew on them a lot. And this one came out a month ago in early June. But Originally, Laura had written a review of Charlie XCX's Vroom Vroom EP in 2016 on Pitchfork and gave it a 4.5, which is like an awful rating. And so Laura in this Guardian article is like revisiting it and talking about why it's a slow burn. And Laura notes that like there is a positive of kind of like doing these reviews and having them to look back on. She says, one handy slash mortifying thing about criticism is having your initial reactions preserved in print forever. It can help you plot your changing taste but it can also give that artist fans a stick to beat you with for life so she's talking about charlie xcx's vroom vroom ep she says at the time i dismissed it as pointedly uncommercial and abrasive and ferociously trite it took until seeing her live in 2019 to appreciate those qualities and then she goes on to say where I once thought those asinite themes reduced her to a vapid cipher now they're commanding hauteur Connected directly to Charlie's vulcanized stage presence. Okay, Laura, first of all, you use too many high-level words. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) And by 2019, the general collapse of society brought a new appeal to a record that sounds like a pep rally on the edge of a black hole. I was relieved to boot some of my old self-righteousness into that void. And as ever, Charlie was ahead of her time, leaving me gratefully eating her dust. Beep, beep. I think that this is really interesting because again with the context of like so like 
when you join a publication, you get given like uh, this is the voice of our publication document. Most of the time you print that out and you put it like you stick it to your computer to like keep in mind of like this is the voice that we want to use like these are no's these are yeses this is who we like this is who we don't like whatever because publications themselves like have biases not just the writers and so like i said earlier like the pitchfork thing was always like pop music isn't for us blah blah whatever but like the other thing that frustrates me about all of this is like People who write music reviews are supposed to go into it with the mindset of, I might not personally like this, but I need to think about this as just like general, is it good or isn't it good in regards to like what music is? Like that's supposed to be the point of reviews. And so the fact that she let like her personal bias come in is like a little bit annoying. Like brand bias of Pitchfork, I can understand, but like personal bias when you are a music reviewer doesn't make sense to me. But that's besides the point. But when Laura wrote this article, Charlie responded in a Twitter thread by saying, this is why reviews are kind of silly in my opinion. Like if the sway of culture and popular opinion is a thing that's forcing a journalist to reconsider their review with hindsight, then what's the point of even reviewing in the first place? And then she continues to write, I think sometimes reviews are more about the culture or scene that surrounds an artist or the genre of music someone makes rather than the work itself. And it sort of produces this nervousness to be on the wrong side of culture or a fear to not be delivering the known quote unquote cool take. And I think that Charlie's latter point makes a lot of sense and i also believe this to be true because like i think that it's a bit reductive to be like my review was biased and like i would take it back if i could because that's stupid because like in 2016 her review might have made sense it's kind of the same thing that we that i was saying with like better than revenge it's like everything is relative to the time and place in which it happened yeah and it's like just because you weren't a tastemaker and like no offense you guys know we love Laura's names but just because like Laura wasn't a tastemaker in the way of understanding that Charlie was ahead of her time in 2016 doesn't make her review wrong she can just as easily write something of being like I wrote this I definitely meant it when I wrote it but now as I've grown and times have changed and like blah blah blah, whatever i'm listening to this music with new ears i'm experiencing it with like a new mindset on life and now i enjoy it and like i think that there is a way to write about past reviews that you've done that you no longer agree with without being like i wrote this out of a place of hatred and anger or like whatever you know and and so i think that there is a way to do it without like doing revisionist history And so it is frustrating. And I also agree, like, what the fuck is the point of a review if, like, three years later you're going to be like, wow, I was stupid. And it's like, you only are saying that because Charlie's popular now. Like, if Charlie wasn't popular now, there's no way you'd be writing an article about, like, somebody who was maybe a one or two hit wonder being like, wow, I really missed the mark with this EP that I've revisited. Like, you wouldn't do it. You're doing it to save face, essentially. I mean, I don't feel like the motives are that cynical just because it was like a roundup piece for the guardian so just like they tapped on journalists to revisit something that they didn't like and they later did but i understand the like it's the same thing that we talked about with taylor it's like it's okay to like say that you didn't like it back then and also i was just looking at charlie's albums her 2019 album was it was called charlie that's the one that she had all of the collabs like lizzo heim like sky ferreira kim petras like everyone was on this album and that album was a lot more commercially acceptable as far as pop goes yeah. i think vroom vroom and some of her previous works were definitely the most like hyper pop which also like right now hyper pop is becoming popular 
so I mean I've been a Charlie fan like I was a fan of Room Room like when it came out I thought it was so fucking cool like no one's doing this but it wasn't commercial pop and so I, I just think it's interesting because it's like within the scene that Charlie was doing it in it was such a big deal like this yeah. underground like hyper pop like burgeoning scene a lot of queer artists like she worked with Sophie on this and all of that is what built Charlie to what she is today so like she wouldn't have her 2019 success she wouldn't have the Crash album success and like doing the tours and playing the festivals if she hadn't had room room yeah so like i i don't know where personally i lie on all of this like i honestly i kind of agree with sarah on the point that like i think reviews are interesting in the point of like that's that person's perspective based on the context of what is happening in that year but it's also like if laura wasn't like into the hyper pop like subculture scene if you're comparing charlie's ep to mainstream pop music like yeah it's gonna be bad because that's not what the common consensus is and yeah. i think that's what charlie's point was was like within the scene within the subculture it was really revolutionary within the mainstream pop context it didn't make sense at all but yeah i don't know i like don't know where i personally lie on like my opinion on like critics in general but i just think it's interesting that this has come up twice and i do agree that it's like it's okay for these things to be kind of a time capsule of what was happening in that period yeah and i mean like there's always the common theme of like somebody puts out an album that's like more hip or cool or whatever the case is. And like we talked about this in our like ex-boy band or pop star turns like sex freak <laughs> R&B artist of like how a lot of them like their boy bander days or their pop star days were like not that celebrated or just like, yeah, it's good pop music, but like who the fuck cares about pop music? And then they put out the R&B album and they're like, we always loved Nick Jonas. We always loved Justin Bieber. Or like when Taylor put out Folklore and then Evermore and like all these pretentious critics are like now up Taylor's ass and being like, we always knew she had it in her. And it's like, no, you fucking didn't. And that's okay. Like, it's fine that like your pretentiousness made you not like music. It's like the same way again like i was talking about with like the canon event of like girly pops being misogynistic when they're a teenager critics are pretentious as fuck when they're i don't know at their prime i guess whatever the case is like they're they're always going to be pretentious because like pretension comes with criticism like being your career that's just how it is like you think you're better than everyone else because you're well i do want to say charlie did say also in this twitter thread that like of course it hurt when her vroom vroom ep like received a 4.5 on pitchfork she says everyone says they don't care about that but it's true like it did hurt and then she also said thank you to laura for saying this like she appreciates it so i think it's that thing of like you just said it can make or break an artist's career if it's like what if charlie blew up in 2016 because she got a really good review like i don't yeah. know but i mean that also could have like completely fucked the timeline you know like yeah who yeah kno- who it's knows? true it could have been a viral moment it could have been a flash in the pan because yeah. general pop music wasn't ready for that still yeah so i think it's all relative but i just think that it's interesting just like the comparisons of the way the guy at pitchfork was like yeah we weren't gonna write about it but i really loved it and like there's receipts somewhere of the fact that i loved it and then laura's like whoopsie <laughs> i like yeah, it now because yeah. i get it and i just think it's yeah. interesting so I, th- I think we've all had albums that we didn't like at a point in time because it wasn't what we were expecting, whether that be out of an artist that we already liked or an artist somebody showing us for the first time or whatever the case is. Or just our internalized misogyny, not letting us like Paramore as teenagers. 
Exactly. Or our internalized, I can only like pop punk music and therefore Faleo do it by Fall Out Boy is not for me. Whatever the case is, like <laughs> it's normal. We've all had those moments. It's okay. We grow, we change. And I think that's like the beautiful thing about being a human in general. So, I mean, there was a lot happening this week, a lot of like little crazy things going on on the internet. Obviously, there was also a lot happening in the Colleen Ballinger of things. Like, we're not going to always get to go over everything, but if you guys want to talk to us about it, we are available to talk about it. You um, know where our DMs are. <laughs> exactly. You know where to find us. You can come slide we in. We are our- very <laughs> online. We are very online. We're very available to talk about any and everything, even things that we did not get to touch on this week on the podcast. So you can come hit us up on socials. We are at Name Three Songs on all platforms. If you have any personal beef, grievances, love, whatever you would like to send our way, you can do that on our accounts. I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name Three Songs. And until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Jackson Wayne. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namethroughsongs.com. 